You are listening to an American Theater podcast. American Theater is a publication of Theater Communications Group. www.americantheater.org. Hi, this is Deep Tran, senior editor at American Theater Magazine. And I'm Jose Solis, a freelance theater critic. And we're your token theater friends, people who love theater so much that we're on theater Twitter all the time. Especially now, because in case you hadn't heard, Patty Lupone is on Twitter, and she cannot be contained in 240 characters. She definitely can. I wonder if she's going to be opposed if someone's tweeting about her at the theater or to her. Is she going to be like okay with that, or is she going to like grab their phones and burn them anyway? And my question is like, why is she doing it? Because she's obviously thinks social media is ridiculous, and she doesn't need to have it. Yeah, maybe she's running for president. Oh, I hope so. I hope all the show queens run for president. Who would be her vice president, though? Um, ba -ba 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 -ba. maybe she'll make up with Glenn Close, and Glenn Close can be her running mate. Oh, yes, like the sequel to The Wife. <laughs> with songs. Because you know what? The Oscars may not want to give Glenn Close an award, but we will give Glenn Close an award. But wait, if people didn't vote for Glenn Close at the Oscars, I don't know if people are going to vote for him as president. So never mind. I'll draw for vice president. Anyway, that is, we are, that is not what we're talking about today. We don't do politics on this podcast. Ha, 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 But today, we are reviewing two shows. What are we reviewing? First up, we're talking about Kiss Me, Kate, running at roundabout Studio 54 through June 30th, because it was just extended. And next, we're going to talk about La Celestina at Repertorio Español through May 17th. Um, we normally have a third show, but someone did not get to his show on time, so we're not doing it. I don't know who it was. <laughs> anyway, and uh, for our interview, we had a great chat with playwright Dominique Morceau, who's making her Broadway debut this season, where she wrote the book for Ain't Too Proud, The Temptations Musical. Stick around for that. It was such a great discussion. And for the end of the show, Jose has an exciting announcement because what did you do, Jose? I don't know what I did. I don't want to talk about myself. Let's save that for later. Bye. He launched a website and, we're, and he's going to tell you all about it. And it's so exciting. Uh, but first off, let's talk about Kelly O'Hara, our favorite subject, or Jose's favorite person. <laughs> Where would Kelly rank when you're like, list of like all like the broadway queens hmm i think she'd ranked number two behind <gasps> ruthie and miles but ruthie and last longer are both very important to me so they have to be number one i don't know who get and they, they can share and then you know kelly's number two because i have seen either on tape or live every musical she's ever done including bridges of madison county which was you know if if beige was a musical that is the musical and yet i still enjoyed it do not make me fight you over bridges right now did you did what you... you liked bridges you know what that's like a, that's like a very personal question no i mean no I, you when, are charlotte when i saw it i didn't like it but I, that's like another conversation suffice to say we love kelly o'hare in a period piece Yes. And this one was no exception. Uh, Kiss Me, Kate. Music and lyrics by Cole Porter. Book by Sam and Bella Spiewak. And it's a revival of a 1940s musical uh, directed by Scott Ellis. And it is a show within a show about a couple played by Kelly O'Hara and Will Chase. They're divorced. And, but they still kind of love each other, and they're reuniting after a long time apart to do The Taming of the Shrew. One of Shakespeare's, you know, most progressive plays <laughs> about gender. And onstage antics bleed into offstage drama, where through fighting and mutual abuse, they reignite their love. I know of Kiss Me, Kate. I know the score. 
but I've never seen it live on stage. And so this is my first time seeing it live. Was it your first? And have you, have, you seen, have you seen it before? No, I've only seen the movie and uh, a taped um, version. But I don't know where it was. It must have been like, I don't know. I don't know. But was it the Marin Maisie version? No, I, oh God, I wish I could have seen that. But no, it wasn't. I don't remember what it was, but it was, yeah, I saw like a taped version done somewhere and the movie, which I do love a lot. And so I I was told they made some changes. So Amanda Green, who's a musical musical theater songwriter and book writer, uh, she was hired to you know, fix some of the problematic elements. And I don't know if I could see it aside from the very end, where they changed the final song from I am ashamed that women are so simple to I am ashamed that people are so simple. Which is still not a good way to end a show. It's just, no, it's... First of all, let's just talk about the things that I really liked. I really liked Kelly O'Hara's performance. I feel like I've never seen her have this much fun. Just hamming it up and not needing to cry and just really going to town on, you know, slapping Will Chase. I really enjoyed that portion of it. And I realized, I think she's kind of been one of those actors that's been um, pigeonholed into dramatic roles where she's crying a lot. And I think this really showed like a new side of her that I hadn't seen before. And she has like really good comedic timing. And I loved her facial expressions. And she's such a ham. If you've ever seen her like, non-theater live performances so i was really happy to see that did you love kelly i mean is that a rhetorical question yeah right what, what's that even about uh but uh what i what i got from this because like she's done like comedies before like nice work if you can get it in the pajama game but what i got from her uh lily was i had never you know maybe starting with bridges of madison county and then the king and i what i'm loving about her is that as she matures She's also allowing her characters to be, like, very um, sexually aware. And is it, like, wrong for me to say that her Lily was so freaking sexy? Like, I had never seen Kelly O'Hara, you know, do those things on stage where she was so glamorous and so, you know, like, very, like, cat-like in how she moved and how she talked and all of that. And usually you're right. Like, she's always playing, playing like, housewives who are crying all the time. <laughs> or, like, even... Uh, Anna in The King and I is very... Like, put a, she's like put upon by men and she just yeah. like takes it quietly. But she's also like super matronly. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's really rare for female actors especially to become more like free on stage the older they get. So I really mm-hmm. love that Kelly's like going against the grain and she's not playing like, you know, she's not playing Mama Rose. Well, she's not playing Mama Rose yet. She's well, not old enough to play Mama Rose. Yeah, but you know... She's still got another 10 years. Or more. Or more. We're looking forward to it, is what we're saying. Yeah, but I'm so happy that she's doing this, like, sexy comedies right now. It's so refreshing, and mm-hmm. I love everything about her. Yeah, like, if you ever want to see Kelly O'Hara do a hip thrust, this is the show for you. Yes. <laughs> the moment she opened her mouth to sing So In Love, I was just like, I just died right there at the studio Mm -hmm. 54 i was just like bury me under this notes right now and it's in like in a higher key than it's usually sung in so she's like singing you to the heavens that that actually gets me into a frustration i had with the show which is there's not enough of her singing she only has like two good songs and one really mediocre song but isn't that so exciting like because i mean it's not her fault like they're not yeah pour her back from the dead but mm-hmm. uh, i think it's so exciting that she does that that she leaves you wanting more like you i obviously i wanted her to sing forever like i was like will chase go away i just want kelly to sing but i mean it's part of the book it's part of the character so i got it but yeah she's oh my god she's just so spectacular like um, and the rest of the cast, we should talk, probably talk about the rest of them. Should we, though? <laughs> should we? I mean, I... So there's the A-plot, which is, you know, Kelly O'Hare and Will Chase's divorced couple getting back together. And then there's the B-plot. So Corbin Blue and Stephanie Styles is the B-plot couple, where he has a gambling addiction. She's kind of a hoe, but in a good way. And they try to make it work as well. And it's one of those, like, 1940s mu- musicals where... 
there's not really a story. It's just a bunch of songs strung together with something of a gangster extortion plot, but not really. And it's just an excuse to, for people to do like a bunch of sexual puns. Yeah, I mean there there are no stakes. There I, are no stakes, but I love. But I hadn't. I, I never seen. I had never seen Stephanie Styles perform before, and she's really funny she and adorable. She's so like great. the new. She's like the new Kristen Chenoweth. <laughs> I was delighted. Great job, Stephanie Styles. I look forward to seeing more of her, especially uh, the Tom, Dick, and Harry number, which was actually the funniest number in the show. Just how they all, everyone looked like they were having a really good time, just attacking it. And sometimes you forget, like the nineteen, you know, you forget. Oh, it's the nineteen forties. Everyone's sexually repressed. But no, just seeing that and then seeing Oklahoma, it made me realize there were, there's plenty of material about like sexually adventurous women. And I just wish they were the a, they were the a plot instead of like the b plot that we we're all supposed to be laughing at. But they had to code it because they mm-hmm. they wouldn't allow like women to be so sexually liberated, which is why I'm yeah. so happy that we're seeing you know Kelly and Stephanie bring you know sex to the equation. And considering how we often talk about actresses because we love actresses so much i did love corbin blue and i think he doesn't get enough props for the work he does on stage he was fantastic in holiday and and the work he does uh and kiss me kate is just so mind-blowing when he was tap dancing on the, on ceiling, the roof yes i was like holy i don't know can i no, curse it's like yeah, yeah. i don't and know everyone did so much and i i think i think there's one of the shows where it's a good traditional production done well. And all of the flaw the flaws in the original material, the flaws are there. And so if you're looking for those flaws, they're there. But if you're also looking for like a musical comedy where you can just turn your brain off and appreciate good looking people doing you know, singing and dancing really well, then this is that production. Yeah. I'm really curious to see how the uh Tony race for best revival of the musical is going to turn out because it's Kiss Me Kate and Oklahoma. Yeah. And I feel both cases are, I mean, you know, I've said to people the exact same thing about both shows about Kiss Me Kate. I've said, this is what Broadway does best, but also about Oklahoma. I've said, this is what Broadway does best. And it's so interesting because they're like, you know, from the same era, but one so modern and Mm -hmm. aggressively. Well, we interpreted it to be modern. That's the thing. And it's so stunning. Like, we love Oklahoma. We love Oklahoma. But Kiss Me Kate is so well done. And I had so much fun that Mm -hmm. I, you know, I would totally tell people, go see this. Like, it's, I don't know, it's so exciting to be alive, I guess, in this era where we're just seeing both kinds of shows coexist. Well, I don't actually think I tell people to go see it because I think if you're a person who finds like things like Carousel or My Fair Lady kind of regressive, then this isn't going to make you happy because it's still regressive it still is and they can't fix that it's like in the bones of the show but we need those the music is so beautiful exactly so we need to hear the we need to hear kelly o'hara sing so in love and but what i'm curious about because i remember talking having a conversation with lee silverman uh, the the director and she said that she has a great concept for kiss me kate but but no one's hired her to do it. Mm. And what I would love is for producers to actually start hiring directors who will take these old problematic musicals and actually reinterpret them instead of just like presenting them as is. Because I don't think like all these musicals have been reinterpreted like in the way Oklahoma is reinterpreted where you see it in a whole new way. Like th- these are still just very well done classic musicals. I wonder if the estates are, you know, are are okay with that because I I feel like most of the states of like all these like classic musical composers are so even like someone like Arthur Miller like, you know, they don't want the works to be touched. They want them to be done the same. I don't way know, but Eva Van Hove did Arthur, a shit on Arthur Miller, and he didn't change a word, but he just made it modern. Well, but he's like a white man, also. Yeah, like I want I want women to do this. Basically, I yeah. want women directors to do these musicals, so I could actually see them in a new way instead of just being like, it's well done and it makes me feel a little bit icky. I would love to see Rachel Chapkin do like a version of Carousel that was immersive. Yeah. Where all the men with the real cares. Where all the men go to hell, and <laughs> exactly. it's just the women singing. 
the very least, like an ending of Kiss Me Kate where Kelly O'Hara isn't giving her hand to someone or she'll like take her hand away or she'll like wink to the audience when she's doing it. Like something. Yeah, I something her, else. I was hoping. I was crossing my fingers because we also saw that in My Fair Lady in the mm-hmm. recent revival. And I was crossing my fingers that at the end of Kiss Me Kate, Lily wouldn't return. Yeah. That she had just left with the military guy who was also kind of a douche. Yeah. I mean, all the men were All douches. the men are douches. Douche. Everyone is a terrible person. Yes. So I don't know. Let's listen to Kelly and sing. Yeah. Let's just listen to her sing and we'll just forget the what this, what this musical is really about. Kiss Me Kate is running until June 30th, and the tickets are 59 to $352, and what is the matter with you people? <laughs> Jesus, this is why normal people don't go to the theater. Jesus Christ. But don't they have, <laughs> Roundabout has hip ticks, right? Yeah, yeah, Roundabout has uh, $25 tickets if you're under 30. So if you can, go see Kelly. Okay, let's move on to La Celestina. Repertorio mm-hmm. Español is doing a revival of one of the most important, I would say like probably the most important play of the Spanish golden age of theater. And it's a play by Fernando de Rojas. And it's basically about the title character, Celestina, who is an aging pimp. Madam. But she's a pimp. Matchmaker. Matchmaker. Make me a match. I know, right? <laughs> so she's an she's an aging madam who gets actually called that by the rest of the characters, who figures out that there's a rich guy who set his eye on some rich lady, and she decides to bring them together. But obviously, she's making money in in the process, and the plot. Of La Celestina is as crazy and probably as irrelevant to get into details as the plot for Kiss Me Kate. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that, both of them in conversation, because yeah. it's old, old kind of problematic tales being remounted. Yes. About women. About, yes. And in this case, there's like a slide. It's kind of like a remix version of La Celestina, because it even opens with, you know, a man is playing the a female character Lucrezia who's one of the maids and we see him in women's makeup and was he wearing high heels now I can't remember but he, he no was, he wasn't no. he was just in lipstick for the first half yeah but he he's playing Lucrezia and he's in the back mixing the songs like a DJ mm-hmm, with and, headphones yes he's wearing headphones and he's also he also serves as a sort of narrator mm-hmm. so anyway yeah you don't really need to know I guess it would be if you go see this play, I would advise for you to read what the plot of La Celestina is. doesn't really matter if it's spoiled because very much like Shakespeare, all those like Renaissance plays are super confusing for us, especially when they're done in the traditional dialect of the time. And if you know what's happening, then you're probably going to you know, have a, a better time. You're going to m- have more fun at the theater. Mm-hmm. And basically, like as the Celestina goes, she cons people. She's a very horny madam. She's like, I imagine her as if Dolly from Hello Dolly wanted to fuck everyone in the show. Mm-hmm. But couldn't, and so she makes sure everyone around her fucks. 
Yes. <laughs> Which is a very noble yeah. cause, right? Yeah. But once again, everyone in this show as well are terrible people. But what's so great... Yeah, yeah, everyone's horrible. But what's so great about <laughs> La Celestina is that it's a perfect example, I think, of uh, how, how theater is so great at subverting genre. Because La Celestina starts off as a romance. Mm-hmm. Then it turns into this like crazy sort of screwball comedy about lost jewels and about you know guarding the door so people won't see that other people are having sex. And then it turns into a full-on tragedy with, like, everyone dying on stage, which is fun. Yeah, a lot happens in two hours. The thing is, my, my struggle was being not being a Spanish speaker. There are some parts that weren't translated, or sometimes the supertitles were a little bit too fast, and so I didn't get everything. So, yes, you may want to have the script on hand if or have read a version of it. Yeah. I, I, miss, I miss some of the poetry, I think. It's kind of like, same like Shakespeare, I guess, where you end up always missing something because Shakespeare's like Shakespeare, right? Mm-hmm. But um, but who who played La Celestina? She was so good. La Celestina is played by one of my favorite stage actors uh, working right now, Sulema Clares, who actually, you know, it's uh, 3, 4 p.m. right now. And I just saw her play a different character in the house of Bernarda wow. Alba this morning. Like yeah, this, is she like a mainstay of repertorio español? Yeah. Oh, repertorio is the only actual rep company in New York. Mm-hmm. Like they do so many plays at the same time. Yes. And, and Sulema Claudia sometimes is doing up to like seven different characters on a monthly basis, which is mind blowing. To go back to the Carol Hara conversation of like, you know, older female actors just like embracing their roles with gusto and like appetite. You could tell this was a woman who had lived a long time and who had who had just experienced life. And now she wants the people who are younger than her to also have those same experiences. And so there's a scene where she just is just like feeding everyone wine. And it seems like the best party to be at. And I just love the way she just like relished being in the role yeah because that, that's such a voracious character mm-hmm. and she's having so much fun on stage like i love sulema Claudis so much um what what i what i what i did feel was because the show is so the play is already so you know complex and and kind of like indecisive i would say and how it wants to approach genre Sometimes the direction felt a little bit off. Yes. Because, you know, it's Fernando de Rojas was writing like centuries ago. So the play I felt, the direction I felt lacked a little bit of confidence to like, you know, grab the bull by the horns to go for like Mm -hmm. a Spanish metaphor and just push it, like drive it in a specific direction. Like I felt at times that the respect the director has of the work didn't allow her to just do something with it. Yeah. I think she tried to... Uh, who's a director, by the way? Leima Lopez. And I think she tried to do something with it and with the concept of the DJ and trying to... Like, the whole thing begins with everyone doing kind of a dance, but set to, like, modern, like... Yeah, modern trance music. And I thought it was going to be, like, there would, there would be, like, some modern inflections, but it seemed like a concept that didn't really go anywhere. Right, like like she <laughs> she just went back to the root of the exactly. play and staged like a very modern, I mean, a, a very, very traditional, traditional yes. way to do it. And the thing is, like it's it's a t- it's a small stage, and there's a lot of set pieces. I mean, there's a lot of settings in the play, and I don't think she really quite figured out like how to negotiate those different spaces. Yes, it got very confusing. It got really ca- yeah, it got really crowded. The blocking, yeah, yeah. Which I mean, for a show that old to be entertaining at all today i feel is always pretty remarkable and it's very entertaining for most of the time like i was mm-hmm. i was it was like the acting yeah really kept you r- rooted i think right i was like exhilarated when everyone died at the end oh, same. <laughs> it was so much fun same. <laughs> i don't get this play everyone dies and then the person who gets the last word is a rich girl's father like i don't get it but his monologue was <laughs> so moving it was so moving well but i'm like this is like a 
different play. What the fuck have I been watching for the past two hours? Well, that's Fernando de Rojas's fault. Yeah, but I, and I really loved just the way they they brought out the class element because I think like there there must have been some cutting because I feel like there was more time devoted to the the servants roles rather than like the two rich you know Romeo and Juliet esque rich people in love. I feel like the play was more about like how poor people can have more freedom in some ways to actually marry the people that they loved or like women can have more autonomy versus like being rich and being kept up in a gilded cage by your dad or is that or had, is that part of the work original work too or is that was or did that come out in this production no the the servants the female servants of lesa destina are a very important part of the uh of the original play it was it was a solid entertaining time and Sulema Clades is a freaking queen. Mm-hmm. La Celestina runs until May 17th, and tickets are 17 to $72. Okay, do you want to intro Dominique? Yes. Next up, we spoke to playwright Dominique Mariso, who is insanely the only woman of color to have a musical on Broadway this season. Mm-hmm. And as she told us, she's also only the second 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 the second it's insane the second, second. african-american women in the entire history of broadway to write the book of a musical which is like oh my god i'll just let dominique do the talk Dominic, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Uh, we're both huge fans of your work, and I feel that, you know, music has always been such an essential part of your plays mm-hmm. that I felt that Dominic in a musical was, like, just, like, a logical next step. Yeah. So why did you want to write a book for a musical, especially a musical about The Temptations? Um, you know, I, I had this list at the top of 2015, which is when this project came to, into my lap, really. Um, and uh, at the top of the list, you know, it was like you write 10 things that scare you, and then you try to do like half of those things that year. <laughs> and at the top of my, number two on my list was write a musical. Mm-hmm. So uh, I want when it came when I, and this was before the project came on board. You know, I just thought, okay, how I want to try to like manifest that this year and like try to see if I can start my own. So when it came to me and it was the Temptations, I was like, oh man, like I love them. This is it. This is this is the thing. I need to do this, and I'm terrified. I don't even know how you do this, but I feel like mm-hmm. I want to learn. Um, and so that, that for, that's the reason why I, I, it was on my mind to do it because I love music, because my plays do are very infused with music often, and I think I hear musicality and language. You know what I mean? So I, I wanted to, I just wanted to stretch myself and see if I could do it in a musical, you know, in the musical genre, and um, and I I really love it. I love their music so much and I love music so much and when I'm I love the soulfulness of the music and so for me because when I think of musicals I always go I want to hear something that's like music that I want to hear like on the radio even though I mean I love musicals but I I just always want to hear something that not that I want to hear like top 40 musicals but I just I'd watch that right 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 (laughs) maybe but I want to hear something that like I, I don't want it to just I don't want there to be a separation Mm-hmm. from theater to like what the people are listening to that don't and have never seen a play. You know, I want there to be a fusion so that when you come and see it, it feels very um, integrative instead of like, you know, like elite and you don't know what this is and you have to change <laughs> your whole philosophy of life to really be able to embrace this. I don't, I wanted to try something a little different than that. The Temptations were based in Detroit, and you grew up in Detroit, and yeah. so for someone who grew up there, like, what what's the mythos around the band in your hometown? What was it like, like doing paying tribute to such a, you know, yeah, such such an iconic part of Detroit? You know, uh, <laughs> Detroiters have such ownership over the Temptations, you know, um, whether the Temptations like that or not, <laughs> and I think that. Because of that, there's so much like expectation 
for like you better get it right you know <laughs> and um luckily I just don't respond to those things <laughs> but but there's a lot of that and I think people are relieved when they find out I'm a home girl you know writing the mm-hmm. book they but I'm also younger than their generation so they're still gonna be like so but what do you really know I still have friends of mine that go oh well, you know this temptation is this person's cousin you know I mean that everybody's related to them mm-hmm. you know and so they have a different I, story about a very much more personal story about them than I think people from other places have more of a story about what their music was for them in the time period. But but in um in Detroit, it's also about who they personally were to different Detroiters. Do you think it's like a fourth installment of your Detroit cycle? I mean, <laughs> it'd it, it be the most epic <laughs> installment ever. You know, I don't. I just feel like it's a. a it's a, it's an extension or a friend of it. You know what I mean? It's like it's a cousin. It's a distant cousin of the cycle. But Michael Friedman, um, I feel like the gift he gave to me before he passed was when he was talking to Tom Hulse about the, the this Temptations musical. Michael said to Tom, "You you're doing a Temptations musical about Detroit. You need Dominique Marisa." And they started reading my work. I think they read Detroit '67. Mm-hmm. And Detroit 67, the character Shell at the beginning of the play is listening to Ain't Too Proud to Beg by the Temptations. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, Ira Pittleman is always going, it was like fate, you know, and mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, well, that's so dope. So there is a connection between my, my Detroit cycle and, and being chosen to write this book. And then, you know, in the play, I mean, in the musical, we deal with there's a moment where we actually deal with the Detroit riots again, you know, so there's that crossover that I think is, um, is a connection between those things. The Temptations are still making music, I think, in a different iteration, obviously, and they've been making music for decades. Yeah. And when they gave you, you know, like, you have decades worth of their music. Yeah. How do you go, what songs do we want to feature? Like, did you go, I want to include personal favorites, well, also including the ones obviously everyone knows. And what was that process like? Uh, you know, so we had a list of approved songs. My director, Des McEnough, and I, mm-hmm. we sat at Des's apartment. I mean, not his apartment. <laughs> he has like this big house. I'm like, his apartment. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's me projecting myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, we met at his home and, uh, we sat down for hours and went through, we would listen to all of the songs that were on the approved song list and just kind of extract ones that both either he was passionate about or I was passionate about. I mean, many were no brainers. Like you're not gonna do it without my girl. Mm-hmm. You get, you know, the Temptations will even tell you that one time they removed my girl from their set and got just, <gasps> you know, booze. Or they said they would never, ever remove my girl from their lineup ever again. You know, so of mm-hmm. course we can't. Um, but you know, so there, there are other songs, you know. That I think, like, the way you do the things you do, get ready, ain't too proud to beg, that are obvious. And then there were songs, you know, that we would listen to, and, 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 and some of them are from the psychedelic era. And, you know, you, we weren't going to use every song from the psychedelic era, so we had to be very selective about that. And some Des loved, or I loved, or some that he didn't really know what to do with. I was like, I think this is a... a one example is Runaway Child, Running Wild, which is mm-hmm. sort of our second song in the in the, in the show. It's not like a, it's not that everybody doesn't know the words to all the lyrics of that song. It's maybe not their most popular song. But for me, it felt so classically narrative. You know, like, I was like, this is a narrative. He was a kid back in the day, like, on, you know, growing up in Detroit and getting into trouble. This is the perfect song for that. You know, so we would figure those kind of things out like that and go, some of the songs made sense thematically some of them made sense just in terms of the temptation's trajectory and then some of them for me made sense narratively and that's how we selected them you know um i wish it would rain when I, when we selected i just love that's my favorite temptation song one of some of my other favorite songs by the temptation aren't even in the show but that <laughs> one is is like one of my favorites and selecting like how to put that in the show we had to, you know, my girl, for instance, you know, it's like a lot of debate on how to use that song because that's like their big song. And there wanted to be all this like introduction of the song. And I thought, uh-uh, no introduction. You, we are all waiting for my girl. So we can't drop it in when people think it has to, we have to not make a big event out of it. We have to kind of make a non-event out of it. I guess you say what 
Terrell and Terrell are the only are the only people of color writing on Broadway right now this that, season. Is that really true? Mm-hmm. Oh wow, wow. So, so what have mm. you learned in this experience about how to make space for yourself in the commercial theater space where there's not very many people of color and you, you're pioneering? Yeah. You know. It's challenging. I mean, someone brought this fact up recently that I am the second black woman book writer to write a musical, you know. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, that's strange. The first one is Vinette Carroll, who wrote Your Arms Too Short to Box of God in, like, 1974. Or oh, Jesus. Yeah, or, like, 1976. It was in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? Really? Is that true? Because I know. Now, I saw Porgy and Best of Revival, and, and Susan Laurie did mm-hmm. that adaptation. But I guess maybe that's not the exact same, you know. She did the adaptation of the book. But I guess maybe original book on of a musical. That's a, st- a shocking um number to me that I would be two in 2019 you know um so anyway that that'll go to show you (laughs) how not used to this (laughs) the the culture maybe you know and so when I want to bring all of myself it's sort of a non-negotiable for me at least on the stage I'm gonna bring all of myself and Mm -hmm. if that's not what you want then you just don't want me as your writer and I'm okay with that I've really gotten to a peaceful place about that. Um, but it's what happens off the stage that I don't have as much control over, especially in a bigger market, that I can push for things, but, um, you know, of making space for different audiences. But, I mean, there's from everything to marketing to, you know, just like the programmatical things, you know, that I find challenging um, to do the things that I can do off Broadway. You know, Mm -hmm. like put, you know, name my inserts, you know, put my inserts about audience participation. Like suddenly that becomes a much bigger corporatized deal, you know, in the commercial arena. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, doing things, just just the ways in which the the non-conventional things, you know, to get people of color into the house, those efforts are are shied away from in commercial Uh space. Yes. You know, and I don't, I, I, I can only honestly attribute it to fear of the unknown because there's no logic for it, right? It is just, it is simply fear like, well, this works. Let's only do what has always worked. Yeah. Let's not try to do what hey, nobody knows works, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and white people have all the money. So, white people have all the money, so let's keep catering to them because mm-hmm. we know that they have money. <laughs> we're not sure about other people. <laughs> But we're confident that this group has money, this this age group and this demographic, you know. Mm-hmm. We're confident that they have money, so let's go on to them. And I find that exhausting, you know, um, and just, and I'm, I'm, I'm still figuring out how to make space for new ideas, to try to be a, the vanguard of new ideas in commercial spaces. And, and I think it's tough because it comes down to commerce. But mm-hmm. I wish... The whole entire theater game, the whole commercial theater game will wake up like the like the film industry is doing. Yeah. Because they are seeing the power of dollars and representative stories of people of color and their audiences. Because you cannot separate us from our audience. Mm-hmm. You can't separate it. You can't have us without our, our audience. You can't have us without the communities we come from. And I think that there's still a little bit of an old mentality that that somehow people of color are supposed to be on that stage performing that does not have to match the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I vehemently disagree with that pedagogy. So I, I am pushing for a new way of thinking, moving, and acting. Because a lot of talk happens, but a lot of talk is cheap. I, I read that... Um you start writing plays when you were in the second grade. Yeah. And, and I just wonder, you know, now you're on Broadway. Yeah. And, and I wonder if, you know, what has made you, what excites you the most about what we can do today that, you know, maybe you didn't even think about. I don't know if, you know, mm-hmm. if you ever thought that you were going to be on Broadway when you were in the second grade. Yeah. Now here you are. No, I, I didn't. And I, I didn't conceive of it because I didn't know the journey of theater at that point yet. I had seen plays, you know, and I was getting exposed to plays in the second grade, but I had no idea of the, of the breadth and the span of, and the reach of theater. I knew TV. I had vision TV, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I did not envision 
theater, uh, you know, and, but I feel what I see now really excites me. My husband and I have been going to see a lot of like the new plays that are out, mm. you know, and, um, and we're kind of consistently like noticing something about these plays that are like just a little more, uh, th- it's not even just, it's unapologetic, but there's something else. It's a very in your face moment. It's some very, there's a different way that they are navigating these spaces. They're different than my generation or, you know, the people that I came up with, I should say, you know. And my husband was like, you know, it's kind of like they're like doing, you know, there's like hip hop. We're kind of like the 90s hip hop generation. <laughs> and now there's like the trap music generation. And he was like, we're kind of like the hip hop, the 90s hip hop theater movement. And they're the trap theater movement. And I was like, yes, it's like trap theater. And I'm here for it. Would you like to invite our viewers to come see the Temptations musical. Yeah. And if there's any like audience engagement projects or development yeah. projects for like younger or POC audiences to yeah. come, like tell us about that too. Yeah, I mean, well, I would first of all, I'm always on a mission to get people to sponsor a young person to come see a show. So if you're interested in that, you can reach out to me. You can follow me on Facebook. You can reach out to me and inbox me on Instagram at Dio Mariso uh, or Dominique Mariso on Facebook. Um, I am also very interested in groups of young people just coming in general. Yeah, I will Skype with your class if you bring them to our show, so please let me know. You know, I really will. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, and I just, I, I want everyone, you know, to feel free when you do come to see Ain't Too Proud, uh, from whatever community that you come from, feel free to come and be your authentic self in that house. There is space for you. We have made space for you in our show. You will feel it when you are there, that it is, if you are a call and responder, there is space for you. If you are a silent observer, there's also space for you there too. And so we kind of welcome everybody, but please feel free to carry my rules of engagement with you should you need them. And you can point them out to anybody that has questions about us. We We have the links. If we must, we'll be outside giving people. That's right. You can do it. Even you might not see them in the insert in the program, but they are online and you can always say, Dominique Mariso has said this. And I was, I stand by it. I still mm-hmm. co-sign it. So you are welcome to share that whenever you come. Yeah. <laughs> the book writer said that I can make noise and you the cannot writer, shush me. The book writer said I can make noise. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us and congratulations. Ooh. I'm so excited that thank your name's you. on Broadway. Oh, thank you guys. It's meaningful to me. Thank you for giving me time, airtime, all the time. All you the have time. been like down from the beginning <laughs> of like just letting me get the thing said and pushing me to get it said actually. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate you for that. And thank you guys for having me on your podcast. Thank you. I got sunshine on a cloudy day. Speaking of sunshine, Jose... What's the name of the website you just launched? Oh my god, this is so embarrassing. We had not planned to do this, so I'm like really bashful right now. But it's such good work. Hey, Heidi Shrek, the playwright of What the Constitution Means to Me, currently running on Broadway, the mo- the best play of the year, she said Jose's review of What the Constitution Means to Me on his new website, Scenes in Color, was her favorite review of What the Constitution Means to Me. Which is actually not even my review, and I guess that's what prompted this. Like, we are always complaining about the lack of representation and criticism, and I just did not want this show to arrive on Broadway and and not have people of color talking about it. Because, I mean, like, I think you're, like, the only person of color who's written extensively about this show. Mm-hmm. But who else? Like, can you think of anyone else? Maybe Soraya McDonald of The Undefeated will write something. I don't know. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. That. And, and also, uh, I mean, like, Deep, you're young. But I really wanted to hear from young people. And when I saw the show all the way back in the fall, like, I thought, I want my niece. She's my cousin's daughter. She's 17 and junior in high school. And I was like, I really want her to see this show because she needs this show. Like, she, you know, it's a show for someone like her. Yeah, and also there is teenage girls in the show, too. Right. And and I was like, I took her to the show, and then after the show, I was like, 
So I have an idea, like, are you in? I want you and I to have a conversation about the show, and then I'm going to publish it. So that's what I did, and I launched it on April 1st, which I thought people would think it was an April Fool's joke, but it was just a coincidence. And there's only one review out there right now, and it's my niece's review of what the Constitution means to me. And I'm so proud of her for being so brave and knowing that, you know, fingers crossed people over the country and people over the world, I guess, would be reading what she had to say. And she got very personal and just like so freaking proud of her because uh, she's also going to write about it for her school paper. Yay! Isn't that so sweet? Bringing the next generation to the theater. And so the website is called Scenes in Color. So what are your plans for getting Con- contributors for the website. If people want to write for you, how do they do that? I'm setting up a contact page. Like the like I said, the site just went out with this first review, and I didn't even really have like a plan in mind. Like everything lives in my head right now. But I, at some point, what I want to do is start a tab where people can just get in touch with me. And my idea is to mentor people. I think that one of the things that prevents people of color from wanting to even attempt theater criticism is that they feel like they don't have the background for it. And I personally don't feel like you need to go to like an Ivy school or like, you don't, I don't even think you have to train as a journalist in order to become a journalist or to have an opinion. Like, you know, like I, there's nothing that excites me more than listening to what someone who has never been to a show says about a show because it's so Mm -hmm. refreshing because I feel like you know like we've been doing this for so long and we know about art and like theater and like we know the canon and we know all this like stuff that sometimes like I feel like we can't help it even as as people of color have our own biases because we we were trained by white people and we have learned what theater according to them should be like and I don't know like maybe sometimes even people like us say like things that are that younger people of color are going to be like whoa this is so unwoke right (laughs) and we can't help it because we're just part of a generation that was educated as sort of god now i sound really old uh but anyway so at some point uh with the contact page set up i want people from all over the country people from all over the world who have something to say about theater to hit me up and you don't need to be a writer like there's going to be space for people to do audio reviews. There's going to be space for people to do video reviews. If you want to submit poetry, if you want to submit artwork, ask your review or ask your reaction to a show. That's what the website's going to be like. And if there's any people out there who want to give me money to make this happen, please do it. Because <laughs> there's no money in this. Mm. Yeah, there's no money in journalism in general, unfortunately. But are you looking to cover just New York or are you looking to cover all around the country? If people are write, are seeing theater in Miami, can they write about their Miami theater scene? Yes. I'm so excited that one of the, you know, the very, very first day that I launched it, someone got in touch with me and they're already preparing to reviews uh, for shows that ran at the Humana Festival. Mm, and that's so exciting. Yes. Yeah, and and again, you know, it's it's only going to be a place for people of color. So, white people, you're I love you. I love some of you, and I, but I think <laughs> I think you're well represented. Like so, you know, I I hope that you'll come to the site and read what people of color have to say, and maybe learn about their points of view. Jose, I know that you make a mission of yours to take young people and people of color to the theater with you as plus ones, and so do you think you'll do some more of these dialogue? reviews with from the people that, that you take absolutely but also like you know like I, I i i just want people to go to the theater and mm-hmm. i don't want i'll still do that like i love bringing people of color to the theater and i never want them to think that what i'm doing is some sort of transaction like all i want for people is to show up and have a good time and if they have a bad time it would be lovely to talk about why they didn't enjoy it right but i don't expect anything However, if you go see a show with me and you can find out, you know, I put out invites on Twitter every week. At some point, I'm also going to launch a newsletter for the site and that's going to have invites. But if you want to come see a show with me, just come. Uh, I don't want anything in return. I don't expect anything from you. Just come. 
However, if you go to the show and you love it so much that you're like, hey, I really want to like write about this or I want to like do a, an audio thing about this or I want to write a song about this or I want to do mm-hmm. a video about this, let's make it happen. Like, I mean, I want, I don't want to call it my website even though I started it, but I want the website to be a home for every person of color who wants to talk about theater. And we'll be sure to plug it on our The Token Theater Friends social medias. And how can people, what is the URL for the website? How can people find it? Go to scenes, as in scenes from a play, and caller.com. Like, I, I haven't really asked people about it. What do you think of the title? I like it. Oh, thank you. I like it. <laughs> Though it's more movie-ish than theater-ish. Well, that's what I was thinking, but also, you know... Are you I'll, looking for movies, too? No, Are you going to expand to movies one day? Not at the moment. I don't have energy for that. Like, <laughs> I love movies, but I don't have energy for that. Oh, if I told you the name I was going to give it originally, it would be like, Leffing. Do it! I was going to call it Non-White Sense. But then my friends were like, that's funny, but it's like also like, no, like all the, <laughs> all the Russian bots are going to come for you. Yes. Yeah. Although that's one way to get, that's where we get traffic and traffic is how you get monies. But I don't want Russian bots. I just want people of color to come and go mm-hmm. see shows. We all want that. And we want the, and we want you all writing about shows. So get in touch with Jose. If you, if you have words in your heart that you want to put out there. Or a song. Or a song. Or poems or drawings. Yeah, let's just like break, you know, like let's mm-hmm. just restart criticism. Like, let's not just do what we've been told by white people to do forever. Like, let's just do something different. Yeah. It's so, time. congratulations, Jose. Thank you. And I'm like, I mean, if you could see me, like, I'm so uncomfortable right now. So, well, not really, because you just talked about your new website for a good 20 minutes. So, it, wasn't, it was not 20 minutes. Oh, God, I'm so embarrassed. Bye. Don't be embarrassed. We're so proud of you. We love you, Jose. Thank you. I love everyone. Okay. And thank you all for listening to this podcast. Uh, if you want to watch us interview Dominique Marceau, you can check out Token Theater Friends' YouTube account. And you can find this podcast on anywhere that you get your podcast. And information about the shows that we've talked about is on our website at tokentheaterfriends.com. Um, ba, 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 ba. anything else you want to say to the people? Mm-hmm. Keller Hera, come on the show. Hi. Please. <laughs> Please, Kelly. We're so in love with you. She's never coming on a show. She's now. never coming to a show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, and if you love Kelly O'Hara, she recently sang All I Care About Is Love from Chicago with a bunch of the original dancers from Chicago. So if anyone wants to cast Kelly O'Hara as Billy Flynn in Chicago, I'd pay money for that. And we will gladly play Roxy and Velma. Exactly. We cannot perform... But we have enthusiasm. (laughs) Anyway, theater is more fun when you take a friend. Bye.